The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Wallace J. Nichols, spent nearly two decades as a marine biologist studying Pacific Ocean sea turtles and working with fishermen in Baja, California to protect the turtles from poachers. But in the past five years, he has changed his focus to neuroscience, human behavior, and what he calls the blue mind. Wallace J. Nichols has authored and co-authored more than 50 scientific papers and reports. His work has been featured in National Geographic, Scientific American, Outside, Time, and Newsweek. And he's here to talk about his new book, Blue Mind, the surprising science that shows how being near, in, on, or underwater can make you happier, healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. Welcome to Health Watch, Wallace J. Nichols. Hi, thank you. Thank you. It's great to join you. So let's start out with your own uh, transition from doing marine biology to focusing more on human behavior and neuroscience in relationship to water. What what happened there for you in relationship to pursuing uh, bringing this book to fruition? Well, I'd say, you know, I, it was a transition, but I guess it was a, a lifelong curiosity about why water makes us feel the way it does and, and even thinking about why I decided to become a marine biologist in the first place. I think part of that relates to the way I felt myself when I was near in on or underwater and the desire to spend more time doing that. Uh, and as I pursued my career as a marine biologist, uh, I, you know, I remember noticing that a lot of other people felt the same way that, you know, they became marine biologists or were engaged with the coasts and oceans. Uh, because of that emotional connection and just, you know, continue to become more curious about that, which led me to read uh, kind of on the side, read books about neuroscience. And, and eventually I started to attend uh, neuroscience conferences and uh, poking around looking for some, some answers to some basic questions about, you know, our brains on water. Um, I thought the book that that I wrote, Blue Mind, um, would already have been written, so I went looking for it in the library, and uh, it wasn't there, and then tried to convince some others uh, to write it, and I was unsuccessful in doing that, so uh, by default ended up researching and writing it myself. Um, but I think for, for me and for a lot of people, it's a, our connection to water, our, sto- our personal story of water is a, a lifelong uh, continually evolving story, and uh, the goal was just bring some science to bear on on that that universal idea. And you do, and I think a somewhat un- unique approach to bringing in that science, because, like you mentioned, a lot of the scientists you know, including yourself, you feel are motivated to study marine biology because of their actual love of water. Um, but then when they're doing science, they're not supposed to feel that emotional connection. It's supposed to be disallowed in the arena of the actual scientific endeavor. And, and here with Blue Mind, it seems like not only are you inviting scientists in different fields to engage with how water affects the human brain, but also to actually talk about their emotional uh, the significance emotionally of water. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, most of the biologists I work with are biologists because at some point they fell head over heels in love with nature, in love with water, in love with 
the world around us, in love with animals or um, exploration of, of the natural world. And then they pursued a career as a, as a biologist, in particular as a, a field biologist. And at some point you start to get that squeezed out of you, that, that basic story, and, and you're not supposed to talk about it. But we all, <laughs> we're all kind of hiding that, that simple idea that we, we really we fell so in love with nature that we're devoting our lives to understanding it and protecting it. And so why not talk about that? So that's, that's part of it. But then why not also, as scientists, try to understand that falling in love itself, that uh, I guess you could, even, you could say we're all fanatics in a way, you know, to devote your whole life to, say, the study of sea turtles is a pretty unusual thing for a human being to do. And something must have happened that, of significance in order for one to make that decision. And so the question is, what is that something, uh, and how do we make a lot more of it? Because I think it would be good for uh, the planet and good for good for us to have more of it. So uh, that's a, kind of the two parts of your question. There, you know, one is uh, how do we how do we give people the confidence to to go there and talk about it, and then also how do we study that that thing in the first place that that falling in love with nature and and, uh, and you link predator. and i think you've you sort of made a nod at linking which you do in the book that you think the best way to protect the oceans and the rivers uh is to make people value the good feelings that they have in connection yeah. to water yeah i think that's part of it it's, it's not the only thing but it's it's part of it, and it's a part of it that has been left out in a number of ways uh, over time. I think we're uh, right now we're kind of going through a period of time when you know there's this idea of ecosystem services, and it's a, a very very kind of reductionist approach um, to describing nature as uh, a, a bunch of services. Uh, I think we've left out some of the basic stuff about how it makes us feel and how uh, a healthy lake or river or ocean can, can boost our happiness, uh, can, can you know, increase our creativity, uh, can pull us closer together with, with those uh, that we're with. Um, you know, the social, the psychological, the emotional component, uh, some would call it spiritual, uh, is, is often left out of the calculations uh, when we decide you know what? What's a river? A wild, what's a wild river really worth? Um, you, you hear people talk about obviously hydration and hygiene and, and jobs and biodiversity, and then I would say and the <laughs> question mark right all the other amazing stuff that we we don't talk about. And so, I guess I could say you know the book Blue Mind is about kicking that door open and walking through it and talking about that all that other stuff that makes us makes us human and makes us whole and talking about it in in a, a rigorous way not in, in a hand waving kind of you know soft or fuzzy way although it can be that but to bring in the best neuroscience and neuropsychology and the best cognitive scientists and to help us uh, better understand what it is about water you know that that does all those things 
so let's let's get a little more specific about it. Uh, you talk about an evolutionary response that we have to be near water or even seeing a picture of water where it will release certain feel-good chemicals. Um, what are some of the theories around um, the the nature of water and our response to it in that regard? Yeah, in the in the broadest sense, uh, no matter what kind of critter you are, if if you don't have access to water in one way or another, you're not going to be around for very long. You know, if we don't have water for three days, we're in big trouble. Our our brains start to malfunction, our bodies start to break down, and then then we're we're dead. So. Having water, having access to water, positioning oneself, whether you're a fox, a chimp, uh, a turtle, or a human being, positioning yourself relative to a healthy source of water is incredibly important. So it, it makes sense that we would have uh, the, the, the toolkit, uh, the, the senses to figure out what that, where that is and get ourselves there. Uh, to listen for the sound of water, to, to recognize water when we see it, uh, and to recognize that it's it's healthy by its color, by its movement, uh, and then to position ourselves relative to that water. Then it also makes sense that we would have some sort of emotional uh, neurochemical response to those stimuli that would signal that that's good, that's not I'm going to move towards what's good and away from what's not. So to break it down like that, you know, it's, it's seeing human beings as, as animals in search of water. It, it makes, it makes some sense. And if you, you know, if you poke around on, on YouTube and just look for animals playing in water or animals in water, uh, I'm not talking about fish. I'm talking about terrestrial animals like ourselves. You'll find these incredible videos of, of dogs and elephants and jaguars and tigers and and monkeys, uh, chimpanzees, interacting with water in ways that kind of resemble the way we do it. Uh, so there's there's that layer, but then there's also the aspect of when we are living our our what I call red mind lives, which are the always on, uh, very very connected information-rich, mildly or extremely stressful or chronically stressful existences, which is pretty much the the hallmark of of modern society. Uh, That's what I call red mind. Um, If we only do that, uh, it's not necessarily good for us. We need to step away. We need to find the off switch, step outside and go um, into nature or go find... uh, some, some water, an urban fountain or a lake or river, and have that, that break uh, from that red mine. And when we do that, oh, our, our brains actually shift to a different mode, which is uh, what I call blue mind. Well, that was one of the interesting um, sections in the, in the in the science parts of of Blue Mind was, I think, related to that in the sense that there was some study of being near water, and part of what allows the brain to relax is a, a sense of high degree of predictability. Like if you're looking at the ocean, um, and things are largely the same from moment to moment versus looking at a street with cars, and mm-hmm. your your brain is able to go into a 
a more relaxed state. But then every time it sees something on a wave, like a, an animal or a bird, it gets sort of a dopamine reward for spotting that thing on a relatively predictable surface. Is, am I am I describing that well? Yeah, that's right. Right. So it's you know if you if you could say well I'm going to stick you in a blue room and play some white noise, and how does that sound? And you'd say well that sounds terrible. That sounds really boring. It would be it would be interesting for the first maybe two seconds, and then it would get really boring. Um, when we're at the edge of the water, there is a predictable pattern. It is, it is simplified, both in, in terms of the sound, the auditory input, and the visual input. But it's not boring. It keeps our attention. And so psychologists call that soft fascination. It, it, we're, we're entertained, but very, very mildly. You're not overstimulated. It's not like watching a movie or flipping around flipping around in uh, your phone on, on all the different apps or surfing the net, which is extremely entertaining and stimulating. Uh, it's, it's the soft fascination. And in that mode, in that blue mind mode, we are allowed to, we are allowed to think uh, creatively. We're allowed to innovate. We're, um, our minds wander. We daydream. Uh, we do all these really important things that, that, uh, are uh, critical, I think, to you know, solving the problems that we're facing, uh, to living living healthy lives, uh, to connecting both to ourselves, to those around us, and to our environment. Um, and when we're when we're in that constant on sort of app based uh, world, we don't get that chance. There's always something to fill in and to entertain us, and our minds don't wander. Uh, so mind wandering being a an incredibly important part of um, creativity and not just, uh, you know, the daydreaming looking out the window and not paying attention scenario, but the daydreaming looking out the window, inventing some new idea scenario. And so water is the shortcut, I think, uh, for many people to that, that creative uh, state of mind. Uh, so, and, you know, that's not a new idea. That's um, actually quite an ancient idea. Um, Look back in the Bible at the 23rd Psalm, um, you'll find a passage, a, a phrase referring to laying down by calm waters. Uh, you look throughout history and, and all societies and art and literature and music, and you'll find that to be the case. Uh, the depiction of water uh, it just shows up everywhere, and it's often in a very um, healing, soothing, restorative way. So this is by no means a a new concept, but bringing modern uh, cognitive science to bear on it is is a newer uh, approach for sure. In case you're just tuning in, we're talking to marine biologist Wallace J. Nichols about his book, Blue Mind, The Surprising Science That Shows How Being Near, In, On, or Underwater Can Make You Happier, Healthier, More Connected, and Better at What You Do. Uh, well, one of the things you do, other than the book itself, is you, you've arranged these Blue Mind Summits where you, you bring scientists from different specialties to discuss their specialties in relation to water. And one of the things that was really surprising to me is you'd find, say, a scientist who studies the effect of music or sound on the brain, but they've never actually made the leap to say, well, what is the sound of water due to the brain versus the sound of exactly. music? So there's this like, it seems so obvious that we would have studied that already, and yet we haven't even really started to begin studying some of those things. Yeah, I, you know, I found that there, 
there are these pockets of research. So your brain on music, your brain on food, your brain on red wine and chocolate, uh, your brain on stress, um, your brain on screens and television and media. Even Coca-Cola studies your brain in order to do their job better. And then when I looked for the, you know, the niche, the community that was studying our brains on water, I found that there wasn't really one. There were a few disparate publications uh, but there are all these dots surrounding it. So how is our, you know, our brain on water similar to our brain on this, uh, uh, the sound of music? So how does the sound of water compare to the sound of music in terms of um, what's going on in our, in our heads? And so I started inviting interesting neuroscientists uh, to these summits and pairing them up with practitioners of different kinds, so big wave surfers or people with the last name Cousteau or uh, explorers, polar explorers, or people who have experienced extreme solitude on the water, and you know, putting them together with neuroscientists and then pitching them uh, a question neither of them had considered before, and then saying, go, go for it, you know, chat and explore it. And the results were really well, really fun, I can say, intellectually awesome in terms of a, you know, a room that you want to be in uh, on any given day. Uh, but it produced the, the fodder, if you will, or the, the raw material for the book, and the dot connecting began. So we've done five of these summits. Uh, each time there are new questions, new people. Um, it's always a, a really nice small group, so we, we can really lean into it and um, – get to know each other and, and it's not like it's a big generic uh, conference and it, it works really well. And it's, um, I think we'll just continue to do one of those each year and uh, <laughs> maybe keep writing books about uh, water and ourselves. And what is, what is new at this year's summit? Uh, what, what is the focus that's been happening recently with your summits? Yeah, this, the recent summit that just happened in May was in Washington, D.C., and one of the topics that we explored was solitude and the, the value of solitude, you know, spending time alone or spending time quietly with, with another person and being able to um, really enjoy that. And, and the lack of solitude, I guess, is the flip side of that, how uh, increasingly young people are less comfortable with um, quiet and the quiet of their own thoughts. And so we explored the intersection between solitude and, and water. It turns out going out on the water or getting in the water, floating in the water, is a really great place to achieve solitude and all of the, the cognitive benefits of that solitude. So that was one of the topics that I thought was, was, was pretty exciting. And so we had a, a, you know, a polar explorer who has spent uh, weeks on end out on the ice and wrestled with his own uh, inability to handle the solitude, paired him up with a psychologist from the University of Virginia who had published some, some really groundbreaking work on, on solitude and had them sort of explore their, uh, the intersection of their experiences. And it turns out, that, you know, the researcher hadn't really considered uh, water and solitude before. So I think we opened the door on, on a new bunch of research for his grad students. And you also cite a lot of research in Blue Mind about uh, people who have experienced trauma 
whether uh, people who've gone to war and, and returned or other traumas and have post-traumatic stress disorder and, and some of the benefits of interacting with water with that population. Could, could you share a little bit? Yeah. So one, you know, one extreme version of stress, and we, I think we all have experienced some stress and, and chronic stress has become more normal, but uh, at, it is, at, at its extreme is called post-traumatic stress. Uh, after you've had an extreme experience of stress and it, it changes you, it changes your brain and uh, lingers for for months and years, maybe a lifetime. Um, one place people experience that kind of stress that leads to post-traumatic stress is, is uh, at, in, during war, uh, during armed conflicts. And so we've worked with a, a group of veterans and for many of them, they find uh, mild or, or, or pretty full uh, relief from their post-traumatic stress symptoms uh, after spending time on the water, in particular kayaking and surfing. Um, it's, a, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And I, you know, I think we always want to be really careful about the miracle cures or any, you know, anything that hints at that, and, and it certainly isn't that. It's... Um, but it is a complementary uh, therapy, if you will, to the treatments that they're getting that may not be working the way they hoped, you know, the more traditional or pharmaceutical uh, solution. So, um, in you know, several cases, that, you know, lots of individual stories, but uh, one friend of, of mine named Bobby Lane, who was really at, at, at the end of his rope, uh, was having not able to sleep. He was um, self-medicating with, with drugs and alcohol in addition to the pharmaceuticals that he was prescribed. And his life was kind of falling apart after uh, coming coming back from uh, serving in the Marines. And he came out to Santa Cruz from Texas and caught his third wave. And at that point saw his life before him. And that included staying alive, not committing suicide, um, continuing to surf, and also teaching others to surf. And then the added benefit is now he is an ocean warrior. He wants to protect the ocean so that it can offer uh, those those services, those psychological services, if you will. And so that those kinds of stories of you know coming full circle um, from uh, you know real deep despair to healing uh, to becoming uh, an advocate for the water itself is really what Blue Mind is all about and recognizing that if we let our oceans and our rivers and our lakes become despoiled and polluted, they can't do those things for us. Uh, they won't be accessible. They'll, they'll be dangerous uh, to our health. And if we protect them and restore them, they can be so much more, not just jobs, sources of jobs and economic engines, and sources of biodiversity, but also sources of, of healing, frankly. And water is medicine, if you use it that way. And do you have stories of communities that have, or towns or cities that have changed their relationship to water for the better? Yeah, it's stunning. You look around the world at um, all the, you know, the urban waterways that are, are beginning to be uh, reconsidered, and cities are now turning and facing their waters rather than, you know, turning their backs to their waters. And the city of Pittsburgh is a great example. Uh, the confluence of three rivers right there in downtown Pittsburgh 
Uh, and for a very long time, those rivers were really considered, um, well, places to dump stuff and were not places that people wanted to spend any time. And certainly people didn't want to, uh, say, have a wedding ceremony next to the river or even touch the water. And through the, the involvement and vision of, of several organizations and community leaders, that's changing. And I'd say in the past 10 years, Pittsburgh, downtown Pittsburgh has seen a resurgence in interest in uh, restoring their rivers, facing their rivers. And now you, kids drop kayaks on the rivers and people go and eat lunch by their, by their rivers. Uh, people hold ceremonies and spend weekends by the rivers. There are festivals. Um, not to say that the water is, is you know, pure uh, or completely restored, but it's come a very long way and the attitude has shifted. And along with that shift uh, comes economic development, of course, and people want to live close to a healthy river. Uh, that property value goes up, the jobs follow, but also uh, renewed sense of civic pride. You know, pride in one's local waterways is is um, beautiful. It's a be- it's a beautiful thing to be proud of of the water that runs through your town, and to feel confident that it's a place you can go. Uh, and recreate and safely, and take your kids, take your loved ones, fall in love, make a proposal, um, hold your ceremony, um, and celebrate you know the beginning and the end of life uh, along those waters. And so that's it's exciting to see that, and I and I think that as an engine to restoring wild waterways is is much more powerful than than the, the fear and guilt approach that taken in the past um, people get get the positive feedback from what a what a healthy river feels like when you have access to it and 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 they want more uh, it's a kind of a positive addiction i guess you could say what well, sounds like pittsburgh has a similar history to uh portland at least in the sense of pollution and now reconsideration so i, I think portland's a great example that you know the big float that's happening and people you know people are are getting back on the water uh, in mass, and um, it's a slow process, of course. Uh, Portland's such a, a water city, um, not just the river, but the, all the public fountains um, are just phenomenal, um, the small ones and, and the large ones. And uh, imagine imagine the city without that. It's a very different place. So, so Jay, do you have a, uh, a web presence that you could point people to if they're wanting to poke around and learn a little bit more about Blue Mind? Yeah, my, my website is simply my name, which is Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, the letter J, which is my middle initial, Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S, dot O-R-G, dot org. And I, I kind of hang um, various announcements there and new publications and uh, a little bit of blogging and um, links to organizations I, I work with. Um, it's, a, it's a good starting place uh, Do you to find have, out more about Blue Mind. Do you have a... An- next book project in mind yes we got a kind of a sequel to blue mind which um at least is currently being called go deeper and it's a it's a walk through uh, a a human lifetime from in your time in utero through um you know the imagined memorial service after your life has has ended and how our lives at each step from childhood and adolescence uh, early adulthood and so on, how our, our lives are enhanced by healthy uh, waterways. 
uh, from from end to end. That's the the theme of the next book, which is a a, you know, a, a deepening of the blue mind uh, subject. Well, thanks. Sorry, I'll go deeper. Thanks for being on Health Watch today and and for all your work, Jay. Great. Thank you very much for having me. We're talking today to marine biologist Wallace J. Nichols, the author of Blue Mind, The Surprising Science That Shows How Being Near, In, On, or Underwater Can Make You Happier, Healthier, More Connected, and Better at What You Do. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Neiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday Morning Radio Zine.